Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we wanted to touch on the things happening in America right now and all of the fallout from the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and the various conversations that we've been seeing and having ourselves trying to make sense of a world both as mental health practitioners, but also as the people who occupy those roles and seeing a lot of difficult conversations arise. I'm aware of conversations on all sides of the spectrum as I have been spending my time, maybe not the most wisely, poking around various parts of the internet, trying to understand the viewpoints that people are coming from. And Katie and I decided that we would pop in with a quick turnaround episode here as far as what is going on in the world? How do we react as clinicians? How do we react with our clients and the other peoples in our lives while taking care of ourselves? And I don't have a great segue to hand this over to Katie after (laughs) the introduction. So Katie, (laughs) go ahead. Well, I just want to acknowledge that what we're talking about is in truth white supremacy terrorism and terrorism that domestic terrorism that has been exploding in the last several years. There's been a lot more terrorism, white supremacy terrorism has been identified as one of the biggest threats that our country faces. And just to quickly Give a definition, the FBI defines domestic terrorism as violent criminal acts committed by individuals and or groups to further ideological goals stemming from domestic influences, such as those of a political, religious, social, racial, or environmental nature. And so in our preparation, Kurt, when we were talking about this earlier, I felt like there was trying to get our heads around what is it that we're actually talking about. And I don't know that we need to define it necessarily more than that, because I think it is this evolving threat that we face, that we feel certainly seeing, and I'm going to try not to get emotional, Confederate flags and Camp Auschwitz t-shirts and, you know, whatever the, the other white supremacist signs that were being waved at the Capitol, inside the Capitol, was very disturbing for many of us and for our clients as well. And I think there was also a lot that was said where this was the the stated intent was to 
steal back the election. I don't even know what the, you know, kind of stop the steal, stop the steal. But what was clearly underneath a lot of the folks who were there was this ideological white supremacy that is, is hard to take in. I, I, I don't know that it was a surprise. It was shocking, but not a surprise. I, I certainly know that this is something that we've been looking at and seeing for a number of years and definitely has been put forward as, I guess, acceptable by President Trump. Uh, but I think it's something where the goal today is to not necessarily dig deeply into what is terrorism, although, you know, clearly calling white people terrorists is not something that is commonly done. There's an article that I'll link to in the show notes that explains that Muslims are called terrorisms and white people are not called terrorists and how that has negatively impacted our safety. But more kind of the response that we as a society are having because it's going to be us as therapists as well as the folks in our room. And so I'm just going to start with my response last week was one of disconnection and I was on vacation and I felt very guilty about not being present for my clients. I also felt very relieved and also some guilt at that relief at not having to be present for my clients. Obviously, the conversations have, you know, this week when I've been back have been very rich with trauma and sadness and, and many other things to process. But I I wasn't sure how to to take it in and and as we were talking and trying to figure out how to what do we do with this how, what is our action that we can take we landed on let's let's talk about it let's talk about what therapists can do in this time unlike Katie I was working on the day that this was happening and I will put that day as probably one of the top five toughest days of actually working with clients, uh, either based on very, you know, in the news events, you know, Sandy Hook shooting was a day yeah. that it was very difficult or personal events, but going through and, and especially working in telehealth of people's abilities to second screen while this is going on and to oh, be yeah. processing with them while they're, clicking off of therapy sessions and going into the news and processing yeah. in real time together is a way that telehealth has not prepared us to to be able to do. Yeah. It was very strange to see the wide response of clients based on the people in my practice. And I'll talk about some of that as this episode goes on here, but it, my background, I have a, a background in sociology. I have another master's degree in criminal justice. So I have training both on the mental health side, but also in kind of the systemic views of how this develops. And then also just kind of a personal interest in studying kind of mm-hmm. the makings of this. And we did an episode a while ago on the making of a mass shooter that some of this will echo and we'll link to that in our show notes. But our role in this is not necessarily defined that when it comes to the things that we do, we, we hear in the news, this is, you know, if it's a white person, it's, it's a mental health issue, but there Mm -hmm. also becomes a philosophical question of if there's enough people doing this as with the riots at the Capitol, 
you know, can't diagnose just a whole group of people with, you know, shared delusional disorder that <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're not the ones showing up in our office, but the ones who are showing up in our office are the ones that we need to continue to respond to. We have this push pull of needing to be aware of everything that's going on in the news without driving ourselves crazy. Mm-hmm. We need to understand enough of what QAnon is to be able to recognize it as it comes up in our offices. Yet we also need the downtime to be able to not be entirely focused on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there there's, we have a lot of different episodes on kind of activism and, and ways to respond to society outside of the the therapy room. And so I don't think we need to, to go into that here. And so maybe what we can do is focus in on kind of each layer of people who are going to be coming into our offices. Cause I think that the, the clients that I've talked to so far are, are one of two. And, and I know you have kind of the third. And so the, the first one is someone who is unrelated to anyone who has been radicalized or, or is in the process of that, or, or even just, you know, their, their, their circles are, aligned with them politically, mostly progressive, and they're just looking at what's happening in the world, culminating in the attack on the Capitol from a place of an individual, um, whether it's a specific response to the the white supremacy and the, the ways in which these rioters were treated differently than the Black Lives Matters people, whether it's what it means even just the the attack on the people's house and the the vicarious trauma and then also different ages some people are reflecting on the Oklahoma City bombing some people are looking at 9/11 some people are are looking at some of the other Charlottesville I mean there's people that that are are pulling together some of these things and it's it's expanding on it and I think these are things that we we've talked about before but I think it's it's this is more of a how do we how do we process? How do we stay present? What is what what level of fear is is healthy to be having right now, and and what what can we let go of? How are you responding to those folks? The other two are, are people that have family members or friends or, or people who they know that are are in these other things, and then also having Trump supporters, radicalized folks, QAnon believers, all those things coming into our office. So let's start with the folks that are a little bit further removed, and it's, this is this is the people coming into our office who are feeling unsettled at the the very least by what happened at the Capitol. In kind of these three groups, I'm also going to introduce, there's three different conceptualizations of how to work through this. Okay. This group that you're talking about is a group with probably the most complex of the three responses that I'm going to bring up with. And mm-hmm. I'm going to call this group the ones that have to deal with their own white apathy, the the ones who are for the first times in their lives having to really recognize and respond that their life is one amongst many, that mm. the, the ways that they have been able to stay distant from things, that they've been able to opt out of the news, but this actually feels like a attack on them. Maybe the first time that they've felt this way since 9-11. If Mm. they are old enough, my clientele tends to skew quite a bit younger than that. But these are the people who often turn into the second two groups that you're talking about. 
mm-hmm. left unchecked. And so a lot of the deeper process that ends up coming into this is dealing with these feelings of reactionism. And we had the episode with Teresa about you know political reactionism, but it's getting yeah. people to recognize that they have a ability to choose how to respond. And it's mm-hmm. with deeper, slower thought into what this is, that it's not just operating out of raw emotion reactionism, but it's coming back to their own moral development in choosing how they can perceive of a situation, choosing what kinds of existential questions that they want answered for themselves as an individual, that is a longer, deeper, slower type work that hopefully helps to prevent some of these other bigger extremist sort of movements that we've seen lead to the formation of some of this kind of stuff in the first place. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I definitely had some clients who were talking about their response as a white person and, and kind of d- dealing with the white stuff, I think, is is kind of how it was put in one of the sessions. And it was looking at what it means to be a white person, what it, you know, kind of the the in your face, if you're not, you know, using some distortions to kind of keep it as an othered or, or an okay practice, like just seeing the, the stark reality of the difference and how white terrorists are treated than BIPOC peaceful protesters. I mean, I think there was definitely that a lot of my clients actually fall into more marginalized groups. And so there was also the trauma around that just being on display and the responses and and even the nuance of responses of this is not us. And it's like, well, it's kind of us. (laughs) Uh, It's, it is us. It is what we've allowed to happen. It is something that is very pervasive. And so I think there was also some of the folks were, were being impacted by other types of racism, sexism, you know, homophobia that that has been throughout their life where they've they've ended up feeling attacked in that way. And so there was a vulnerability and 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 a fear because of their othering, the otherness of them, that this was those put them at risk, even in places that seem safe. And so I think there's there's so much. I mean, there's so many different types of folks responding to this. They have their, everybody has their own history, but I think it's really important 
to, to have these longer conversations and to dig deeply into what is it that they're responding to? What is their experience and what, what risks are they actually facing? Whether it's a risk of radicalization and solidifying into more of a white supremacist, white reactionary framework, but also for folks who are not white or are marginalized in some way, what specifically are they experiencing in this moment? It could just be like, well, that's what I expected. And it could be hugely terrified and, and fearful for their lives, the lives of their family members, the people they love. And so I think it's, it feels very present. And, and certainly I think there's, you know, we, we've, we had an episode uh, around the news and your clients, I think. And, and certainly we, we have some other conversations um, that are forthcoming about when terrorist attacks happen that are not, you know, quote unquote, Muslim terrorists, which is kind of what is always characterized. I think there's also for, for people who are either Muslim or are considered visually Muslim for whatever reason. And I, and I know that that's uh, part of the problem is this stereotype, but folks who are stereotyped into that role, there's, there is trauma there. And so I, I, I you know, we, we have other conversations that people can go to, but I think people who aren't directly related to someone who was there, not related to someone who was appreciative of the, 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 the radicalized movement, to stop the steal, I think they still are. There's still a very big chance that there is a huge response they're having, and I want to make sure just to kind of honor that. But I think that's kind of therapy in 2020, 2021 is we've got people that have complex reactions to things going on. I guess the next piece, which I think is really important, is the folks who have family members, and and I I know I've got more than one person who has family members who are pushing them away, who are, who are very strongly pro-Trump. And, you know, that is destroying families. And I don't, you know, it's like, how do we support those folks in our room, I guess, is, is the other element to that. Again, it comes down to normalizing what they're going through, normalizing the feelings of, of that, that you know, Katie and I are both, marriage and family therapists and being good Bowenian sort of thinkers in the, sometimes you need that emotional cutoff in order to like yeah. do your own thing. Well, not everybody is afforded that opportunity to really separate themselves out, but that you know, one thing that COVID has done is it's helped keep people, hopefully fingers crossed from having you know, political conversations over Thanksgiving or other <laughs> holiday dinners that, man, this year would have led to some really big things. But those things are happening online now. Mm-hmm. That it really comes down to being able to manage self-identity from family identity. And, and so much of all of this reaction is coming down to defining identity, whether it's political yeah. identity, whether it's anything else it's being able to separate self from the family definition of what you should be and not only are their clients i have family members myself Mm -hmm. who fall all over this debate yeah i do enough of this at work that i'm not 
like engaging a whole lot online with people these days because it's just driving me to constantly feeling on and constantly, you know, needing to debate people who don't want to be in a debate. They just want to win. Yeah. And, And this is helping clients recognize that same sort of process that it's doing all of the emotional work in ways that are ineffective for people who don't want to hear it and being able to turn the focus on correcting other people into being able to take care of themselves. And this kind of a work is really dependent on how dependent they are on these family members. For somebody who's grown adults, who's launched away from their family, potentially has a family of their own, it is a lot easier than it is for a teen or a tween who's still stuck with a older sibling or a parent who's encouraging this kind of rhetoric. And so it's being able to identify what they have control over, being able Mm -hmm. to exercise that and let the other people in their lives to a certain degree of safety, not influence them into reacting just out of that raw emotional state again. And I think that's the part that gets really hard is I I look at a lot of the ways that, that even within therapist groups on Facebook or within just social media as a whole, when there is such a strong divisive message and us against them, the zero sum game, the stuff that happens in these white supremacist radicalist kind of situations, there is a counterpoint that is also very angry and and rightfully so, but also, you know, there's not a, there's not a space to get to compromise healing care. I mean, I, I think it's, I don't know the answer. And so that's, you know, that's why I'm struggling a little bit to try to put it into words. But but there are folks who are like, I have to cut it off. I have to set boundaries. I have to, I have to, you know, counter every argument. I have to, I cannot let this stand. And I think there's some truth in that. But that also perpetuates the division and the arguments and those things. And so I think there are folks who are looking at, I have someone who I'm worried is not just a Trump supporter, but is radicalizing. And I can't, I I can't find compassion in myself for them. I can't find a way to connect with them. And if, and, and we can set limits around how we healthfully keep our, our own boundaries and, and support our own mental health, but it also then further cuts that person off and it, it potentially makes the situation worse kind of societally or within the family. And so I think there's, there's huge challenges because people have to get their heads around. Do I not say something and keep the peace so that I can sustain these relationships? But am I then tacitly accepting some of this, this stuff that I feel is very dangerous or racist or, you know, all the other problems that comes with this rhetoric or do I fight it, which doesn't seem to work anyway? I feel like people are feeling especially hopeless, even if they have their own families. There's there's this potential loss of their family of origin. I mean, there's just so much stuff that becomes hugely impactful. And, and, 
And again, I think there's probably more conversations we can have about how do you help someone get out of a radical terrorist cult? I mean, like, I think there's, there's potentially an interview that we need to do there, but I think it's, it's recognizing this, this heartrending situation and understanding the impact we can have as therapists if we don't actually get past our own anger and, and be able to sit in the, the curiosity and the, the warmth and connection that, that might be needed for these folks who are either determining whether they join their family members, call them out, or cut them off. I mean, I think it's, it's a lot. And I think compassion can be especially hard when we're all feeling like we're running on empty. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I give really hard advice to clients facing this, and I am giving Mm -hmm. this to all of you as well. You can't do it alone. Full stop. That these are conversations that takes a village. It takes a lot of people to shift the the sociological culture. And one thing that has happened with the internet and with social media is that people on especially this extremist end have done very, very effectively is use the internet to create a home for people who have otherwise been ostracized by family members. Yes. And, you know, any of the things that we see in the the news, oh, this person fell through the mental health cracks. This is where our job philosophically as therapists is to understand and recognize those people who have been ostracized earlier. And I know that we're going to talk about a couple of my clients who fall into this historically, that having known some of the pressures that have led to this, this is not a brand new thing. This is stuff that has its, I don't know, roots in the 1600s that has played out over several centuries, but it's being able to identify where these people are coming from in, in their reactionism. Yeah. That you are either in your personal life or as a professional, the one who recognizes this and arguing against them is not doing what works. It's no. not doing anything other than driving them further to looking for a place where their ideas feel safe. And where they're understood and accepted. Yes. And this leads to that third group that you're talking about, which is those who are fully engaging in this. And these are the people who have long bought into this idea of us versus them. Yes. And this group of people, and at this point in time in our history, we're talking about the extreme right. There are extremist groups in all of history. We are not here to talk about whataboutism. We're talking about this group. (laughs) Yes. And the reason that I say that is that is one of the tactics that is used to further justify their position in this mm-hmm. is there is always a counterexample. You know, we're hearing about what about the BLM protests last summer? I'm mm-hmm. I'm not going to 
engage in every false equivalency with clients or with people who want to debate on this because yeah. what is happening when you engage in arguments in this way is you are playing by their rules and their rules are I win. Yes. And there is no logical consistency there. There's no logical aspect that they are looking to play by. And any counterexample takes a lot more emotional energy and research and time out of you. And meanwhile, they're four and five and 30 steps ahead. What works is getting to the emotions, driving that thought process. And this is where I have seen in my practice and, and especially my work with people on the autism spectrum and especially higher functioning people who feel ostracized socially that end up finding a home in some of these groups online that do speak to a sense of connectionism and play on ideas of black and white thinking that is often with you know, people diagnosed on the spectrum that creates a feeling of home and it creates a in-group that they feel a part of that can be taken advantage of to further push their desire to feel connected and engage in some of the the rhetoric and, and the behaviors that we're seeing develop here politically and socially across the country. Now, this is not just a autism-centric thing. This is sure. all sorts of clients, but my practice has seen a fair amount of this over my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In this last week, I have talked a client out of going to DC, out of mm -hmm. trying to go armed with guns. Yeah. And it was not, don't do this. And it wasn't yeah. done as a threat of, hey, you're kind of letting me know. And I'm kind of obligated as a, you know, person who needs to raise concerns of protection and terrorists off and all of this kind of stuff. The conversation went, why do you feel the way that you do? Who are you really feeling these feelings are against? And it takes moving into this world and understanding that desire for connection, that desire to have an identity that really makes it to where they feel understood by somebody else. Now, none of those are my personal beliefs. It's being able to separate what my space is and not give more to react against, but to create a, you know, we're not so different, you and I. We're both humans. We both have this desire to feel connected. And if we can feel connected about a unifying humanity goal rather than a reaction against some imagined or contrived other that really helps us to feel like, oh, we do have a little bit more control over our lives. And that's what really separates out. And we talked about this with Teresa in that episode of doing our job of helping mm -hmm. people to feel connected to their feelings rather than just getting all caught up in the hyperbole. Well, and I th think what I'm hearing, and, and we, you know, we've had some of this, these conversations kind of offline, so to speak. And so, you know, fill in if we haven't talked about it on the episode, but, but the, the simplification that can happen with a, a radicalized rhetoric, you know, stop the steal, 
make America great again, you know, pro-gun, anti-abortion, you know, whatever it is, when there's very simple messages and there's this, this kind of melding of this identity that happens. And, and this is broad strokes, obviously. I think we do need to do an episode on this. <laughs> but when there's this, this huge alignment of these tiny little ideals and it's more about calls to action than introspection, I think as therapists, one of the things we can really do is what you're talking about is, is, is get to a place of what, what makes that action compelling to you? What is behind your resonance with this? And really trying to understand and hear them. I, I, I hear the identity elements. I hear the attachment needs. I hear the kind of loss of critical thinking. And oftentimes, whether it's based on, on someone's characteristics or time of life or vulnerability or those types of things, I think that there are, there are times that things being very simple and black and white and having someone else, some other to be angry with can be very compelling to all types of folks. And so I think it's, it's something where therapy actually is a good counter because we we seek connection. We seek to understand. We, we hopefully are providing compassion. I think the difficulty, and this is where looking at, and, and I, I want to speak back to, to Travis, Dr. Heath's episode around therapy as a pol- political act. It's, it's not telling clients what to think because in one of the books I'm reading on, on cults, psychology can be a, a place where you can get some mind control. <laughs> and so you also want to make sure that you're using your power for good. But I think being able to truly try to understand the perspective of the clients that you have and have compassion and teach compassion, I think, is where is within our wheelhouse. I think when we're so angry and we are seeking a simplified other to be angry at, we can be part of the problem. Um, I want to push back against what you're saying here a little bit because okay. I, I agree with your end goal, but I, I think that the process is difficult in that what you're talking about is, about therapy being an answer here is it's a slow and deliberate process. And that goes very much against the simplified message that fair that people want. And especially people who don't want to engage in a slow and deliberate process. There's a reason that every movement has a quick, short, little soundbite sort of hashtag sort of thing. Stop the steal is simple. Build the wall. Exactly. Be a modern therapist. No. (laughs) (laughs) We're not cults. (laughs) It's something where simplicity drives a organization. And it's being able to take a step back around that. Any sort of social change one of the biggest arguments against it from people who resist that change is, oh, that's just too difficult. It's too mm. too hard to step back. And so this is where the messages that we need to do are not just as one-on-one in our office, but unifying as professions and professional organizations in response to this and having our message be consistent with other professions. It's not just 
putting out a Facebook message of we stand with, that's not mm. doing anything, but it's being able to create a simplified message around we're pro-humans. Mm -hmm. Yes, fair point. And I, I agree that as therapists, the process is slow and the people who potentially need it most are not going to show up in our offices, at least not willingly. And, and that's the pressure that we need to recognize that even our professional organizations, and I can say this as a former board member of a professional organization, we are not as adept at the public messaging as we could be. And we need to stop sure. relying on ourselves as doing that and actually work with really good marketing people to help brand these messages very specifically. Yeah. And I know that professional organizations have done this with varying degrees of success and a lot of degrees of unsuccess in <laughs> not having this. But when we have too many disparate messages changing too many times and not being repeated enough, we're just wasting our time and money in doing that. And this is where having centralized sort of, and I will come back to this as we're pro-humans. Like, go go people. Yeah. Like, awesome people. Go people. <laughs> I mean, I think that there's messaging. I agree. And I think that is a very important thing. And I think that maybe something that we can help with, but not necessarily our role. I think that there is also societal change that supports and, and actually takes care of some of the concerns that people start with the, the disenfranchised folks, you know, understanding and trying to, Re-enfranchise? I don't know if that's a word. Um, franchise? No, that's a different word. Uh, unother. Unother. I think that there's there's a lot that can be done. I think the difficulty remains people who are unwilling to stay in communication. And I understand why at some point that you stop communication. I think there's a healthy reason to do that. But I, you know, kind of when we're looking at the larger goal when there's not a space for communication, there's, there's a, a continued promotion of divisive statements. I think it becomes very hard to see a path forward, except at the individual level, Ex except at helping each person find the compassion they need to re-engage in society, to, to help them take care of their needs and, and kind of develop more emotionally so that they are not falling prey to this div division. Well, and it's also making it personal for the people who would choose to opt out of this. And mm -hmm. for much of the pandemic, I've been spending my time in rural middle America and yes. being able to quarantine there. It doesn't feel as part of the day-to-day -day life there. And so some of these broader concepts don't appeal to everybody. And so it becomes kind of this argument against the, you know, elites on the coasts that mm -hmm. makes it to where that rhetoric becomes othering and threatening to the people who aren't faced with this kind of stuff day to day. And I know a lot of our audience tends to be towards the coasts, tends to be people who have opted into our messaging and our, our values around, you know, fighting some of these systemic things. But for a lot of the people, this isn't part of their day-to-day -day life and therefore is not something that they want to invest a lot of time in. 
it's helping them to see the benefits of this, not just the negatives that they're hearing in sound bites on the news. Sure. Sure. I feel like this conversation has a lot of additional areas that we could dig into and and we are definitely long on time. I guess how I'd like to finish is just really speaking to therapists who are grappling with this really challenging time, because not only are we facing white supremacy terrorism and an attack on the Capitol and, and threats reported for the inauguration and beyond, but we're also still in many of us quarantine and facing a global pandemic. And there's so much that we're facing as individuals. And so I think this is just another reminder yeah, this is tough. <laughs> Take care of yourself. And we're here. You can find our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. You can come and join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, and continue this conversation. We'll have our episode posted up there and hopefully see the continued conversation developing there. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.